Hey family, this is Joshua Jones. My wife, Lindsay, and I have the honor of being the lead followers of Way Family Church right here in Edmond, Oklahoma. Thank you for taking a minute to tune in. We pray the message gives you a different perspective about Jesus, His gospel, and what living life in His kingdom is all about. Take notes, listen intently, and be blessed. And I know some of us, myself included, have sinned with our eyeballs, and I've definitely sinned with this, right? But we're not starting up ministries for the kingdom of God. It's in the Bible. Why wouldn't you go and do it? Because the point of Scripture is to point us to Jesus, to be like him. Right? So I know a lot of people, they were Bible-like, but they were not Christ-like. Are you catching that? Is that okay? That's good, right? Do you know how many churches? I don't, I don't even know if I know another one in the region that, that will say what I just told you. But I want you to be free. So watch this. Depending on, remember this, depending on, these are glasses, by the way. That's a really good, Pastor Josh. That's, ama- that's absolutely amazing. Maybe this will help us. That don't look like a bird, bro. That's an obvious man. Jay, doesn't that look like a man? Help me out. Yeah, thank you. Exactly what I told you, Jay. That's supposed to be ears. But anyway, depending, depending on your lens, you can see whatever you want to see in the Bible. If you want to see a God that kills everybody, all you got to do is wear the lens that says God kills everybody. If you, if you, want, to see a, if you want to see judgment throughout all the Bible, all you got to do is the, wear the right lens. So what we have to do is this. Good to see you, my brother. What we have to do is this, is we have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit take our lens off of us and view things right. So watch this. 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 16 gives the nouns of God. Everybody say noun. Say person, place, or thing. Right? The Bible is filled with adjectives. (laughs) But the nouns are very important. God is... What's that, Mallory? Love, not, not has. God is. That's a big statement. God is love. You know what else the Bible says about God all the time? For the Lord is, watch this, good, over. The purest essence of what, of what we know about God is that God is love. Now, there are adjectives that describe things about God all throughout the scripture. Yeah, brother, I know that God is love, but, you know, he's also, a religious person will also say this, but, brother, he's also just. That just, the spirit of religion, every time, every time. Brother, I know, I know that God is love, but he's also holy. And they're trying to take an adjective and let it trump the love. Yes, God is love, and out of his love, he is Yes, God is love, and out of his love, he is just. George MacDonald says of God, what a revelation, that God will not do nothing as a judge that he first would not do as a father. I'm going to throw this whiteboard over there. Jesus Christ, did you hear that? God will not do nothing as a judge that he first will not do as a father. Now, Buckle up. Ready for this? My dad was my father, but he was also my judge. And he made judgments toward me for the first 18 years of my life. And his judgments, I didn't always like them. 
but they were always for my good. Did it seem that way in the moment? My dad actually told me this kind of stuff all the time. I always heard this, but my dad literally would say this at least four or five times in my life. He said this. I quit getting spankings. Well, we didn't get spankings. We got whoopings. I, got, I quit getting whoopings, but I was probably about 10. My other brothers were like 16, 18. They were still getting whoopings. Like they were rough. Um, but he would say, now this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Can I tell you something? I found that to be very true. I tried it on my own kids. Very, very different. I probably never whoop my kids again. I learned from me. I learned in a more excellent way. I'm like, why do I feel bad always doing this? I know what my dad meant. But as my judge, he did what he did for me out of a posture of love. His judgment was never to hurt me. God doesn't judge like this. Right? So out of his love, he does bring, watch this. What's that? Correction. And God's correction always brings, watch this. What's that? But it comes out of a posture of love. God doesn't judge us to punish us. If you just punish your kid, they don't get better. You have to correct them. I keep walking this way. No, son, you walk this way. Yeah, but I want to go this way. No, son, you walk this way. Because right correction always brings. You see it? You see it? Why come prison doesn't change people? Because it punishes them. But it doesn't, it doesn't, change, it doesn't make them change direction. Because it punishes them. But how can we make people change direction? So when you read the Bible, you have to let God give you the right lens because you can see whatever you want to see in the Bible when you read it. So for us, we have to see Jesus in every time, every time. Everybody say every time. When you sit down to read the Bible, you have to say, Holy Spirit, would you show me truth as I read? You know what I mean when I say mixture? We mingle old covenant and new covenant. We hear things like this. We've got to press in. You think we 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 gotta we we what we're talking about, we gotta set the atmosphere just right. I get that. But when that's our, our normal all the time, when we're pitching fear to people, what are we mingling? Old and new covenant all the time. But then comes Jesus Christ. Listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. Jesus said, if you believe Moses, then you believe in me because he wrote of me. John 14, when they said, show us the father, Jesus never said, go look at Moses. Go study Abraham. Go look at Elijah. He just didn't do that, right? We even made a crazy song. These are the days of Elijah. Unplug the radio. These are not the days of Elijah. These are the days of Jesus. Come on. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, that Jesus is, actually Hebrews 1, 1. In times past, our father spoke unto us through the prophets, but he hath in these last days spoken unto us through his son. You see that transition? God used to speak through the prophets, Old Covenant, but he has now spoken through his son. What is the language of God? Not French, not Spanish, not Mandarin, not Italian. The language of God is son. 
Jesus is self-defined. He, Jesus says, I am the what of God? The word. word of, do you see words when you talk? No. What is God saying? Simple. He's saying Jesus. You see it? Come on, you see that? Jesus is what God is saying. He used to speak everything before Christ. Now, Jesus says, he now speaks through the Son. Because I'm greater than any Old Testament prophet, any Old Testament judge, any Old Testament king. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Jesus is better. He's better than Moses. He's better than angels, Hebrews 1. He's better than Moses, Hebrews 2. He's better than Joshua, Hebrews 3 and 4. He's better than the, 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 the Aaron, the Levitical priesthood, 4, 5, 6. Then he, then he gets to the Hebrews 7, 8, and 9. He says everything he does in the new covenant is way better than the old. And then he says this. He said, for the old covenant is now obsolete. What? Don't say that. So when you read the Bible, you have to read with the right lens. Now, if you, haven't, if you weren't taught these things, you'll read the Bible and you'll feel good because you read the scripture, even though it's not speaking truth to you. Because there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's not truth. Everybody say this. Everything God said is not in the Bible. Do you think everything God said is in the Bible? Like, can you actually contain God in a book? I can't, I, can't, I can't put everything Charity said in the book. I haven't read Corvette in the book, but I know they exist. Not in the Bible. I haven't. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff that God said that you may not find in Scripture, but it will never contradict the Scripture. But you ready for this? But there's a lot of stuff. God may never contradict Scripture, but I'm going to tell you what he will do. He will contradict our understanding of it. Did you hear? No, did you hear that? No, you thought that meant this. Let me tell you what that means. So she said, I'm struggling because I read all this judgment stuff. And I said this, ma'am, who did Jesus ever walk up to and said, I come to judge you? So when you read the Bible, Jesus has to be the one who interprets scripture for us. So Jesus said this in John's gospel. The Father has given all judgment unto the Son. Who's the Son? Then you know what Jesus says? But the Son judges no one. (laughs) I didn't didn't put that in there. Then you know what he says in John 3? Let's keep on reading. For God so loved the whole cosmos that he sent his only begotten Son. So that whomsoever would simply believe in him would not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, <laughs> but that through him the world might be saved. So Jesus didn't come to be your judge. He came to be your savior because we were already judged. Listen, is he judge overall? Yes. But his judgments, you want God to judge you. His judgments are always good. Scripture even says that. We think judge and we think of a guy with a black suit and a gavel on. Because that's what, that's what they do in America. Trust me, 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago, when they wrote judges, they didn't have to think about a guy in a courthouse with a gavel. You see what we did right there? See how we took that in America and we made God to be like, a, like he's Judge Judy? 
I don't know. I'm looking at all the evidence. and uh, You didn't say the prayer. Condemned. That's, God doesn't do that. Right? You want to know what God's judgment look like? Find any sinful person in the life of Jesus, a prostitute. What did the judgment of God look like for her? That's John 8, that prostitute. What did the judgment of God look like to her? What about that prostitute in John 4, sinful life? What did the judgment of God look like to her? What about Zacchaeus, the tax collector? What did the judgment of God look like for him? That was the judgment of God. You want God to judge you. What you don't want is religious people to judge you. And I was that religious guy a lot of times. And I judge people often. But the Father has committed all, not some, all judgment to the Son. And the Son judges no man. But you want God to judge you. And I said, anytime you read the Scripture... If what you're coming away with doesn't look like Jesus, set it on a shelf and ponder it until it does. Because the goal of your faith, Romans 8 and 29, for whom God did foreknow, those he did predestine to be conformed to the image of the Son. This is the point of our faith. To take on the image of the Son. There's been times in my life I was very biblical, but I wasn't Christ-like. You guys tracking with me? Is that okay? I just wanted to, she asked me that question. I thought maybe I need to talk about this again until we see things from the right perspective. There's people that read the Bible, they see everything, but they don't see Jesus. They scare me. You can tell me what the horn, what the horns on the altars of the, of the Ark of the Covenant mean, all that stuff, but you can't see Jesus Christ. You can tell me what the horns on the, 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 the mystery beast in the book of Revelation mean, but you can't see Jesus Christ. You can tell me what they're going to do with the ashes of the red heifer when they burn it, which we don't even have one of those, but you can't see Jesus Christ. You can tell me about the whore of Babylon in the book of Revelation, but you can't see Jesus Christ. And we are in awe of people and their revelation, but they say nothing about Jesus Christ. <laughs> man you ain't kidding boy man I'm telling you back in the day I used to watch these guys I, I mean I already caught out some of them but we, they'd have they'd have these massive um, uh, sheets all the way across the stage about judgment and everything about the book of Revelation about and all the judgments coming to their they never mentioned Jesus one time I'm like what is the goal of your faith it is to see Jesus and we wonder why we got American Christians confused abused and definitely misused right and so i just want to always try to set some of those things right whenever i have an opportunity everybody say this say we are forgiven say this is the gospel one more time we are forgiven this is the gospel i want to talk about forgiveness for a little bit we might get somewhere else i really want to take sundays and start talking about blessings of the new covenant um, there's about 12 that I want to talk about, but one of these, the first one is forgiveness. Okay, if you're taking notes, write this down. So in the old covenant, they had a system where you were forgiven for one year by the offering of a sacrifice. You were forgiven for one year. You would bring a sacrifice 
uh, at least the priests would at the end of the year, really for the whole nation. And they would cover, Hebrew says, they would cover your sin. Everybody say cover. They would cover your sin. Why is that dangerous? Because if your sin can be covered, it stands to say that it can also be what? Uncovered. <laughs> you, ever, you ever try to cover up something, somebody uncover it? Yeah. And so that's what in the old covenant prior, prior to Jesus Christ, they had a system that allowed humans, their sins to be covered for one year only. And not only that, I mean, ultimately they would bring one lamb or one sacrifice for the whole of the nation, but throughout the whole year, weekly, they were still offering sacrifices. You're talking millions of people bringing millions of sacrifices. Do you know how much blood that priest stood in? Okay, I'm not trying to degrade the office of a priest. I would not want that job. But a priest was nothing more than a glorified butcher. Have you ever smelled like cow blood like by, by the gallons? Have you ever smelled burning hair? Imagine burning hair blood, guts, all the time, this was the life of a priest. The, the, the nation of Israel was used to this kind of lifestyle, okay? And they would do this all the time, nothing more than to simply have their sins covered because the beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus hadn't been a reality to them yet, but they were on the way. So they would offer sacrifice and their sins would be covered. Now, when they offered a sacrifice, I'll give you scripture in a moment. Sometimes we get scripture, but we don't get truth. But I want you to hear this. They offered sacrifices, and that sacrifice would atone or make up for what they did wrong outside of them, but it couldn't do nothing to adjust or transform who they were on the inside. So I could give, when I went to Israel one time, um, actually it was a Steps of Paul trip. We went to Greece. We went to all these beautiful um, Catholic churches, and they were they were really ornate. And I'll never forget um, one lady. She I saw her twice. She came in a building one day, and she's waiting in line, and she is bawling her eyes out, matter like she was really she was just waiting in line to talk to that priest to 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 get her and in the booth and confess. And I don't even understand everything they do with their faith, and I've read up on it. But anyway, they just had a little bit of a line there, and she is feeling bad. And she talks to the priest, you know, I'm actually sitting down um, in the pews and I'm just watching what's going on because they gave us like an hour or so. They had pictures of St. Peter. They had statues in there. People were coming. They were kissing the statues, which I actually thought was quite beautiful. Kissing the feet. They were kissing the feet of the saints that had gone on ahead of them. Faith, it means something. They do it differently than us, but it means something. You can't say they weren't sincere, but you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong and 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 our tour guy we were very blessed because he said he was a undercover christian because it's not popular to be a christian there okay he's an undercover they would say they're christian but not like we are they wouldn't be protestants and he said this lady will be back tomorrow again i said why he said because she's just covering it telling him what she did but she hadn't recognized that jesus is the end of all sacrifices and so what she's doing is she feels better because she got it off our chest. Yes, I cussed my husband out or I slipped around on him or I stole, you know, I don't know. I stole something from the canteen at work today. Nobody was in there. I stole a bag of chips. So she feels bad. She got it off her chest, but it doesn't change anything in here. So she'll be back tomorrow. I saw that lady twice 
in a different church. She came back in and he said, see, she's back again. I said, wow, man, even you see this. But Jesus, what he did doesn't just take care of our sins externally. The blood of Christ hits us internally as well. You see that? Now, let me read something to you. Hebrews 8. You guys maybe want to, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read from Hebrews 8 for a little bit. Let me see here. Boop, Wow. Listen to Hebrews 8, verse, oh man, the book of Hebrews is crazy. If you start reading from like 7 on, just buckle up because it it challenges everything we've learned in America, to be honest with you. Um, Let me read verse 22. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. It's already getting good. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. In other words, every priest before Jesus eventually would die. Right? But verse 24. But Jesus, because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Which, by the way, there is a a current intercessory prayer meeting going on in heaven right now. And it is Jesus whispering in the ears of Papa about us. He ever lives to do that. Verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy. That's Jesus. Harmless. That's Jesus. Some people... The Jesus some people believe in is not harmless. Say what? What are you talking about, brother? Hebrews, I'm, I'm in Hebrews 7, verse 26. I'm in Hebrews 7. So watch this. The Jesus that some people worship is not harmless. Verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy. He is harmless. I mean, some people's Jesus going to come back. He's going to slaughter everybody. You ever heard this? One day he's coming back on a white stallion and we're going to be riding with him. He's going to kill everybody. <laughs> See, the Rambo Jesus. They're going to be so much blood. Let's, let's, watch how we wrongly interpret scripture. They're going to be so much blood. The Bible says it's going to be to the bridle of the horse's neck. <laughs> you got too much revelation of scripture and not enough of Jesus. Peddling fear as if fear promotes fidelity. It doesn't. He's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Who, watch verse 27 of Hebrews 7, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. In other words, every priest before Jesus did not only offer up sacrifices for the people. He had to offer up sacrifices for himself because he was sinful. He says, but Jesus (laughs) did not have to do this because he had never sinned. He did once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice of all sacrifices. This is gospel. For the law appoints a high priest as high priest, men who have weaknesses, and they did. 
But the word of oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Whoa. Ready? Just keep on reading. This is the Bible. There is no chapters and verses in the scripture. We, we put those there for us. Now, this is the main point of these things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. What a name for God. The majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. He said, this ain't Moses' tabernacle. This is one that God himself made. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, capital one there, also has something to offer. That's Jesus. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law who served the copy and the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For God said, See, Moses, that you make all things according to the pattern that I show you on the mountain. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a what? Better covenant, which was established on what? Say the, old, say the new covenant is better. Come on, don't be afraid to say, say the new covenant is better. Watch this. Verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then there would be, have been no reason for a second. <laughs> Can I tell you why the first covenant was faultless? Not because the law itself was bad. God gave the law for a purpose, but it actually says the law was not meant for righteous. The first covenant was bad because it required flesh to do anything with it. That's me and you. Watch this. Verse 8. Because finding fault with them, Lord have mercy. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And this covenant that I will make with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and I led them out of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant, I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their what? And write them on their what? So not stone anymore. And he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor. By the way, this is a quote from the book of Jeremiah. So what he's quoting from the book of Jeremiah, nobody will ever have to teach his neighbor and nobody will ever have to teach his brother saying this, know the Lord. Why not, God? Why won't they have to do that? He says, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful to their what? That is not true in the old covenant. God was, he was not merciful to that. No, sir. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Watch this. And their sins and their lawless deeds, I will what? Remember no more. And God says, this is the new covenant I'm going to make with Israel. I'm not going to walk around anymore with a rule book saying, I saw you, Taylor, you did that wrong. I saw you, Josh, you did that wrong. I saw you, Cameron, you did that wrong. I got my list and I'm checking it twice, Santa Claus theology. I'm going to find out who's naughty or nice. And if you've been good, you'll get a gift. And if you don't, you're going to get a bag of coals. If you're doing really bad, you're going to get sticks. Santa Claus theology. We actually think the Lamb's Book of Life is about people who have their names written there who are going to go to heaven one day. We've never even asked, what does the Lamb's Book of Life mean to a Jewish person? But I know what it means to Americans. Anyway, just I'm going to keep. I don't want to just keep right on teaching. 
He says, I'm going to be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and your lawless deeds. I'm not going to remember anymore. How? Verse 13. In that he says a new covenant. He has made the first one what? I didn't say that. Whoever wrote Hebrew said that. That pastor said that, God, that the old covenant is obsolete. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. Right? Obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old? It's already ready to vanish away. I'm just reading through the Bible here now. Let's look at Hebrews. Well, I just read it to you. Hebrews 8, again, 12 and 13. I will be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and your lawless deeds. I will remember no more. What is the last one on the last night of Jesus's life on the earth? The, the day of Passover, that was one of the holiest days on the planet to a Jewish person. Remember what the Passover was? When Israel came out of Egypt, they put the, the last of the ten plagues, they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Remember that? And God says, wherever I see the blood of this lamb, I'm going to pass over. But where I don't see blood, I'm killing the firstborn of that household. Remember that story? And the Bible says he killed the firstborn of the lady that stayed behind the windmill. To the king who sat on the throne, God wiped out the firstborn of everything. If it was a cow, it had a firstborn. It died too. Like, whoa. Like, God, you were really not playing around. You killed every, everything. Everything had to die. Right? On that day, when they were supposed to be celebrating that, Jesus is sitting down, Cameron, with 12 men in a room. He said, I know this is Passover. But this is the real Passover. Don't mess with Brother Moses, but Jesus messed with Brother Moses all the time. And he said this, I'm fixing to give you a new covenant. <sighs> I know, ain't nobody said that in 1,500 years because we love Moses. Now I'm giving you a new covenant. And I know you're used to taking, you're used to eating the lamb that celebrated the Passover. He said, but now... Don't forget what John called me. John called me the lamb of who? You know what Israel knew, Chris? Israel knew the priests had a lamb. Israel knew that the, uh, you know, their neighbors had a lamb. But what Israel didn't know is that God himself had a lamb. Jesus, John 129. Behold the lamb of God who does what? He takes away the sin of the world. We don't even believe that. Why do we believe God is going to one day judge people for sin when the scripture already says that he already took the sin away? Why would God say, I'm going to judge you for what I said I'm going to take away unless I really didn't take it away? Because we actually believe that God only takes it away if you say the prayer. It's not your prayer that takes sin away. It's a man on a cross that takes sin away. Your acknowledgement of what happened is powerful, but it is not the thing that made it happen. It is a man hanging on a tree. But really, before we ever even were alive, that he did that because he's the lamb of God slain before. Before the foundation of the world, before Adam ever even had a chance to spill the milk, before he had a chance to do that, God said, I'm coming on the planet, Adam, before you have a chance to do it, and I'm going to clean it up before you did it. Because Jesus coming to the planet was not a secondary knee-jerk reaction from God. Oh, my God, now I got to, oh, he would have said, oh, myself, oh, myself, I got to do something because my, my creation messed up. Oh, and me, <laughs> right? Like, that's not what God does. You see how the gospel is powerful when you hear it, though? He said, I didn't, I didn't wait for you to sin before and wait for you to say a prayer, please. 
That works in America. But angels don't stand in awe over that message. But you know what Peter said angels stand in awe of? He said, when they hear the story that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from the dead traditions of your fathers, but you were redeemed with the spotless blood of a lamb, he said, angels go, whoa, I want to look into that. I want to look into that. I want to look into that. We are forgiven, and God says, I'm making a new covenant with you through the lips of Jesus. And those disciples are going, what in the world? Well, we got to eat some lamb. And Jesus pulls some bread out, and he breaks it, and he says, the lamb you want to eat is me. He's he's talking to Jewish people now. This is my body, which will be broken for you. What are you talking? They didn't have a clue what he was talking about. What are you talking about? I know the lamb that that we would kill and eat. No, I'm going to be the lamb that's going to be broken for you now. It's going to be me. And he takes wine and he pours it in the cup. And he says, this is my blood of the new covenant that I'm making with you. And they pass it around and they drink it. And on that, from that day to now, communion is still quite powerful. He says, in the new covenant, I'm not going to remember your sins anymore. And I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. It's one of the beauties of the new covenant. To say this, say, I'm forgiven, and I can't do nothing about it. Well, I'm going to just go sin. Go ahead, knock yourself out. But guess what? You're still forgiven, and you can't do nothing about it. Let me tell you something you never heard a pastor say. You're not free from sin until you recognize you're free to do it, but you choose not to do it. Mallory told me, Mallory said, Josh, I just, ooh, you know. I don't want to go drink that alcohol. Can you prevent me? Sure I can. I can tape your hands to the chair. She's going, I'm free from it because I'm not doing it. That's what the old covenant did. It tried to behavior modification. But it never changed the fact that you wanted to do it. But the new covenant, Jerry, he says, those laws and the old covenant, they were on stony tablets outside of you. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in your heart and in your mind, and you'll be able to say, you don't got to go tell nobody, know the Lord. He said, because they all going to know me. How? Because they're going to know me from the inside. And now, when you recognize you're really free from sin because you're already forgiven, you won't struggle with whether or not you want to go and do it or not. We say things like this. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, man, you got to be careful t- saying that kind of stuff because you're going to get people too free. How are you going to be too free? Sarah, he said, they're going to be too free. Then you know what he said? He exposed himself, Taylor. He said, they won't want to come back to church anymore. Please, man. They may not want to go to yours. But people are longing for truth. Why? And some of us are struggling right now hearing this. Why? Because it's gospel. It's a too good to be true good news. And it robs you of ever having to do anything. Even in the Old Testament. You ready for this? Psalms 103, verse 3 and 12. Now, we love this psalm. Everybody knows this psalm. This is one of them refrigerated verses. You know the refrigerated verses, right? I need to start quoting out the book of Nahum. We're like, the book of what? No, who? Psalms 103. He talks about the benefits of God. You know, when you get a job, you always ask the question, what am I what? What are my benefits? He says, bless the Lord, all my soul, 
and don't forget his benefits. Then he lists them. Verse three, this is a old covenant scripture with a new covenant reality. You ready for this? Who forgives all of your, woo, ready for this one? Who heals all of your, ready for this one? Who redeems your life from destruction. You ready for this one? I will crown you with love and kindness and tender mercies. Ready for this one? I'm going to satisfy your mouth with good things. And I'm going to cause your youth to be renewed like the eagles. My goodness, man. Let me just keep on reading. For the Lord executes righteousness and he makes justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. You see that? He made known his ways to Moses. But his acts to the children of Israel. In other words, Israel saw the action of God. He split a Red Sea. What's the difference between an act and a way? Moses said, you saw his actions, but I can tell you how to make him do it. I'll reveal to you his ways. You see that? You see that? Watch this. He said, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's always been that way, even in the old covenant. He says he's slow to what? Right? He's not like us men. He's slow to anger. Right? All the women said he's slow to anger. Right? He's abounding in what? He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his what? You know, you know when that stopped? New covenant came around. <laughs> he ha- I love this. Now, I, this, now, in the church I grew up in, we didn't have verse 10. We did not have verse 10. Because verse 10 says, he has not dealt with us according to what? Now, in my church, they dealt with you according to your sin. I mean, and they dealt with you really good. I'm going to deal with you according to your sin. You did what? Come here. So we didn't believe in this verse where I grew up in. He has not dealt with us according to our sin. In other words, we don't get what we deserve. Listen, nor has he punished us according to our iniquities. Why? For as the heavens are as high above the earth, that's how great his mercy is toward those who reverence him. Here we go right here. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. For the same way a father pities his children, the Lord has pity on those who fear him. And may we never forget verse 14 because he knows our frame and he remembers that we are what? Dust. Verse 17 says this. Oh, just go remember 15, 15. As for a man, our days are like grass. We're like a flower of the field. We flourish for a little while. But no sooner did the wind blow over and we're gone. And the place of that flower, you don't even remember it anymore. He says, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who reverence him. And his righteousness will be to their children's children, even to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Now that scripture rings in me, but I thought, but God, I haven't always kept your covenant. And I definitely haven't always remembered them. 
but know who is the man who always kept the covenant and who always remembered him. Jesus. And Jesus was, we are in union with him. See that? See that? See that? Man. So Israel started out with a year-long coverage of their sin, killing millions of sacrifices a year, but now we don't have a year-long coverage of our sin. You've heard me teach this. In the Garden of Eden, it was one lamb for one man, one lamb for one woman, an individual sacrifice. By the time you get to Exodus, it was a lamb for a household. One lamb could cover a whole household. By the time you get to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, it was one lamb to cover the sin of a whole nation. By the time you get to John chapter 1, the birth of Christ, John says, now this isn't the lamb of a Hebrew or the lamb of an Israelite. This is not the lamb of a priest. He says, behold, this is the lamb of Yahweh, God, and he didn't come to take away the sin of an individual, the sin of a household, or the sin of a nation. He has come to take away the sin of the whole entire cosmos John 1 29 you know what before coming to church here a lot of us had an Aaron's rent a sinner salvation you pay on it a little while pay on it a little while pay on it a little Mr. Payment you ain't get it you ain't get that take it from you but I paid 75% paid off. Yeah, but you, you missed the payment, so we took it back. And you go back and you try to pay on it a little while. Pay on it a little while. Pay on it a little while. Aaron's rent a center salvation. And it is an insult to what Jesus has done. Jesus is going, Father, why do they keep coming to you telling you that they sinned? And he would say, son... Their spiritual leaders told them to do that because they don't believe the gospel because they don't know what I told the writer of Hebrews. Why would you try to go to God and confess anything if he told you I choose to remember it no more? If my son keeps coming to me, Dad, I want you to know I poured, poured water out there, Dad. Poured water. I used this analogy one time. When I was a boy, I spilled some Kool-Aid in a carpet. My boy just got a carpet. I went to my mom, because my dad had already told us, don't be drinking in the living room. Y'all didn't grow up with them parents. We used to have this, I don't know what we called it. I mean, it was horrible. We had this, it was like a plastic clear rug that my mom would have. And that's the, that's the part of the room you could walk on. Hey, y'all, anybody ever seen those? It was clear. If you flip it over, it had like spikes on it. You know what I'm talking about? Woo, that's what, you, you flip it over and nobody's paying attention? Oh, God. Well, I got off the, off, the, off the clear strip, and I spilled Kool-Aid on it. And I went to my mom saying, Mom, I spilled Kool-Aid on the rug. Daddy going to kill me when he get home. <laughs> Daddy going to kill me when he get home. Because he didn't believe the Bible. He didn't believe. He judged me according to my sins. <laughs> my mom... Went and got, anyway, we had a Kirby vacuum cleaner, 575-pound vacuum cleaner, and my mom sucked the color out of that carpet with that thing. The Kirby had a shampooer on it. We shampooed it. It was all gone. Gone. By the time my dad got home, Taylor, it was all dried up. My dad comes home. I'm still crying. And I take his hand. I'm like, Dad, come here. <laughs> my dad's going. What, 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 are you, what are you crying about? <laughs> Say what's right there, Dad. 
He's like, what are you talking about? My mom was in the, in the, in the kitchen cooking what we call pastry. I don't even know the pastry. <laughs> she said, he spilled some Kool-Aid in the carpet, Frankie, but I cleaned it up. I don't know what he's crying about. And my dad said, I don't even know what you're talking about. Why? It was cleaned up when you did it, son. Now, that's in the natural. I'm complaining about something that I did that my mom cleaned up because I was afraid when my dad come home, my dad was going to judge me for the mistake I made, even though it was already clean. And my dad thought it was ludicrous for me to even think that. Now, how much more in the kingdom of God? Jesus doesn't wait for us to spill it before he cleans it up. He said, I was slain before the fall of Adam. I cleaned up the milk that Adam would spill before Adam even spilled the milk. So when we go to God and say, God, don't you see? That's why you can't use me. That's why I'm struggling or that's why the father's going, I already told you I removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. I already told you my son was the lamb of me who took away the sin of the world. I already told you I would be merciful to your unrighteousness and your lawless deeds. I would remember no more. But for some reason, your religion keeps wanting to tell me that's where I missed it. That's where I missed it. That's where I missed it. That's where I I missed it when what your religions or your faith should have told you. Yeah, you know what? You did miss it. But let me tell you where I hit it. No, no, this matters immensely. So we are forgiven past, present, and future by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the message of Paul in the early church. Let me read one more to you. We'll be done. We're going to get out of here early tonight. Hebrews 9. I think I might have read it. Hebrews 9. Man, goodness gracious. Let me read Hebrews 9.16. Hebrews 9.16 says this. Wow. I want to read all of that. Let me do this. Hebrews 9.11. We okay if I read the Bible for a little bit? The whole Bible is good. If you read it from the, with the right lens. Right? Hebrews 9.11. But Christ came as a high priest of good things to come. He came as a high priest of what to come? Good things. Right? Once again, he didn't go to the church. I went. Because he didn't come bringing good things. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with the hands of a man. That is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place once for all, having obtained what kind of redemption? I'm just, I send the Bible. What kind of redemption? Is it temporary? You know, I'm talking about the redemption you can lose. No, he said he obtained eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer and the sprinkling of the unclean could sanctify for the purifying of flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Your sacrifices could only cleanse you on the outside, but the blood of Christ will even affect your conscience. What if you got ready to go do something good and your conscience couldn't even say, yeah, you could, but you know what you did yesterday. 
You need to let the blood hit that part of your conscience, myself included. And verse 15, and for this reason, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant by means of his death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Watch this. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. In other words, a testament or a covenant does not come into force until somebody dies. Right? We're in the new covenant. Has Jesus died? So is the new covenant enacted? Verse 17, for a testament is in force after men are what? Since it has no power at all while the testator lives. But Jesus is the only covenant giver, Chris, that died so that his covenant could come into, into action. And then he rose back up from the dead. Therefore, verse 18, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves, goats with water, scarlet wool, hyssop, sprinkled the book. You know, Moses had a book of life. and He had a book of life. He would sprinkle the book itself, and he would take the blood and sprinkle everybody. How, uh, what if I brought some blood? Here, Monet, here's some for you, and here's some for you. and here's some. Go bless your spouse with that when you go home tonight. Just let them smell you real good. Right? And Moses would say this, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Verse 21, then likewise, he sprinkled with blood the tabernacle of the church of their day and all the vessels that were in the ministry, everything had blood on it, literal blood on it. And he said, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And we take that verse and we say things like this, God demanded blood. Actually, God didn't demand blood. The law demanded blood. Actually, in the Psalms, David says this, prophetically speaking of Christ, he said, sacrifice and offerings, God would not. But verse 23, therefore it was necessary that the copies of these things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but he entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for who? Us. Woo. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another and the blood of another and the blood of another. Or Jesus would have to suffer often since the foundations of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of who? Now, okay, let me ask you this. Has Jesus already appeared? Was he sacrificed? So that's three parts of that verse. He has to appear. He has to be sacrificed. And then sin would be done away with. So I'm going to ask you again. Has Jesus Christ appeared? Has he been sacrificed? Did he deal with sin? Did he do a good job with it? Wow. And as it is appointed for men to die once, and it is, after this comes the beautiful judgment. Look at that. After this, he says, comes the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of who? That's everybody. To those who eagerly await for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin 
for salvation. Whoa, man. The Bible's good, y'all. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 14. Says this. By one offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Everybody say this. Say, I'm perfect. Y'all, y'all some of y'all couldn't even say it because your spouse is in here. You're like, God, oh, no, yeah. They don't know you leave your underwear on the floor. You ain't perfect. No, you don't do it. Come on, say, I'm perfected by Christ. Say, I'm made whole in Christ. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. See, you are sanctified. You are being sanctified, and you will be sanctified. You know, the, you know what Paul says? Paul says, you were saved, you are saved, and you are being saved. You see that? I love the scripture. I love the scripture. Now, look at verse 16, Hebrews 10. This is the covenant, this is the new one, that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'm going to put my laws in their hearts and in their minds. I'm going to write them. I love this. Verse 17. And then he adds, what? Wow. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Man, this is the gospel. And because this is true, you know what the next verse says? Something they can never say in the old covenant. Therefore, in other words, there, why is therefore, therefore? When you just read that he took away sin, that he was sacrificed, and that sin has been done away with, and God chooses to remember your sin no more, therefore, brothers, he said, now we can have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which has been consecrated for us through a new veil, not the veil that hung in the tabernacle, through a new veil, that is the veil of Christ, because we have a high priest over the house of God who lets us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Therefore, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for the one who has promised us is faithful. Oh, man, man. Somebody say, I'm forgiven. One more time, I'm forgiven. We don't have an Aaron's renter sin of salvation. You know what, man? If people, if people came into the kingdom with that simple revelation that you're forgiven, you can't do nothing about it, we'd have a lot less performing going on. I had a, I had a cousin. Her name's Paula. She's precious to me. She's probably 45 or so. <sighs> My last con, she came here, uh, I guess it'd be earlier in the year. And I remember just having a, we grew up in a, a very religious area, but I was having a conversation with her. And do you know, she rejected this simple truth on every front. She, now she'd been born again 375 times the same way I did growing up. Yeah, I don't know nothing about that. Because we, that Anne's Renner Center thing was very true. I lost it and got it and lost it and got it and lost it and got it. She says, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not born again. Did you get unborn again? You, you, you got a better chance of unscrambling an egg than you do getting unborn again. Can you tell me how you did that? How did you, how did you undo what Jesus did? How did you undo what Jesus did? You, you actually believe an unrighteous deed by you can undo the righteous obedience of the one son, Jesus? She's like, well, I just, I just, 
I'm just not born again. You know what she was doing? She was looking at all of her I didn't. She said, I ain't been to. She said, I haven't read the. In a long time. She said, Cousin Josh, I don't even. No more. Now, what she has told me, she has listed to me everything that in her mind makes her to be a Christian. Not one time, Taylor, did she mention what this man had done. But you mentioned nothing but old covenant stuff. The sacrifices that I brought, the time that I tried to spend with God, all of my deeds. So she had never heard the gospel. And when she did hear it, she thought it was foreign to her. Because what you're telling me, that just seems too good to be true. No, this is what they taught in early church history. And this is why we're struggling. The too good to be true good that's what you text me this morning in Colossians. Chris texted me, he said, Paul is dropping some fire in Colossians 1. I said, man, that's powerful. Isn't it? But what have we done? Here, I want you to understand something. We are a new covenant church, the only kind in the new covenant. Where you're forgiven whether you like it or not. Now, you don't have to believe it, but watch this. You not believing something don't make it true. Not true. You, cannot, you don't got to believe this is a water bottle. You can say it's a microphone. It's still a water bottle. But it does mean you don't get to partake of it because you see it as a microphone. You can come in here and try to make it amplify your voice all day long. It was not built for that. It's a bottle of water. But, watch, but when you see it for what it is, oh. let me read one more passage and we're done. Taylor, would you come play? Because that, you know, that's what that's what means you close in the church service if you play the piano. <laughs> hey, listen, so there's a guy, um, he actually leads at a church. Did you know Lee Smith? I mean Lee Pearson. Did y'all know Lee Pearson? You know Lee? It was before y'all came be interns with us. Big brusquely guy. He was um oh, pretty much a worship leader, but uh he'd always sang before people, but never preached, but we used to do chapel, and one Sunday, Saturday, I said, you going to do chapel today? He's like, me? I was like, yeah, you're going to preach. He's like, okay. Pastor Joy Hughes, from the last church I was at, he was doing worship that day. And Lee comes up to preach, and Lee says, he looks back at him. He said, I've always wanted to do this. He's, he looks back at him. He says, stay right there, stay right there, stay right there, stay right there. <laughs> and then Lee turns around. He says, I've always wanted to say that to somebody. <laughs> he said, people always said to me, stay right there, stay right there, stay right there. Stay right there, stay right there, stay right there. And the atmosphere shifts when you hear that key playing. I want to read something to you. I'm not putting, I just, I wanted to read this to you so you wouldn't say, is he putting that in the Bible? No, this is in the Bible. I've read to you many times what Paul calls the mystery that's revealed. He says it's the mystery of the ages. You know what Paul said? He lets the cat out of the bag. Is you think it'd be like the last verse in the Bible, but Paul says, let me go and tell you what the mystery of all the ages is in Colossians. He said, it's this. It's not that Christ will be revealed one day somewhere out there in the heavens. He said, the mystery is not that Christ will be revealed one day coming through a star or an angel. He said, the mystery will be this, that Christ has always been in you 
And he said, that will be the hope of glory. And one day we'll choose to believe that. He said, that's the mystery of the ages. Where is he going to be revealed at? Hold on. So I'm still trying to find this prayer. We were all taught that you say a prayer and you invite Jesus. And what you, I, please find that scripture for me because I would love to read it. But anyway, you don't, don't look because you won't ever find it. See what we did in America? If you have to make Jesus his Lord, you know what that means? That means there was a time he wasn't. And he is Lord overall. You don't make him Lord. He is Lord. Peter said, you crucified him who is both Lord and Christ. He's both. He's Lord. The gospel is not that I, Mallory, invite Jesus into my inferior, insecure, poor, abused, came out of a family who got divorced in ministry, life. That's not good news. The good news, angels don't stand in awe over the fact that a human could invite God into their life. That's not gospel. But the gospel is this, friends, that the perichoresis of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, has by way of the Son invited fallen humanity who fell out of that great dance. God this is gospel. Not that I get to invite God into my life. God don't want to come to Twin Oaks. That ain't like heaven to him. But the gospel is this. That the God of the universe said, I want to pull the Lakeishas, huh, and the Mallory's, huh, and the Joelis and the Cameras and the Joshua's into my life. That's gospel. Not that you say a prayer hoping to invite God into your life, but that God by way of the Son, for God so loved the whole cosmos that he sent his only begotten Son. In this is love, John said. Not that you first loved God, but that God first loved you. And he sent his Son to be the propitiation for all of mankind. The gospel is not that we invite God into our life. That's religion, an American religion at that. But the real gospel is that the God of all the universe, according to Luke 15, said, I'll leave the 99 and I'll go find you. You'll be my one lost coin and I'll sweep the whole cosmos until I find you. Or you can be the boy that left his dad's house because he thought something better was out there, but he came up short. Or maybe you can be the prodigal son. You were the older brothers of the prodigal son who stayed in the house the whole time. He was lost too. He was lost too. But the very fact that you can be lost, you can't be lost until you recognize that you belong. The fact that they were lost meant that they belonged. And the fact that they were lost doesn't mean they were disowned. It means they were displaced. No, you hear? Religion taught us that we were disowned. But Jesus comes and says, you missed the heart of Abba. You were not disowned. You were just displaced. Listen to Acts 17. And I'm done. Like really done. I used to go preach. I did a revival, mini revival with a, um, this black pastor friend of mine. And he could, boy, he could preach. I mean, he could hoop. I'm like, how do you do that, man? Teach me how to do that. He would say, I'm getting ready to close. And he would... 27 times I'm getting ready to close I'm like no you're not you're not closing getting ready to close finally somebody said you need to be like the Israelites in Egypt you gotta let my people go man we dying here 
read this and I'm done. You ready? Here we go. Acts 17. Paul is in Athens. I've been here before. He sees all these people. They're super religious, he says. He says they live to hear a thing or tell a thing. Acts 17, 21. Verse 22, he says this, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said this, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through, I was considering the objects of your worship. He said, I even found an altar with this inscription on it. What was the inscription? To the unknown God. He said, you had altars made out to everybody, but just you wanted to be sure you didn't miss any God in the universe. You even had an altar with this name on it. And just in case we missed one, put, I don't know, put this to the unknown God. And Paul says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing. How can you worship somebody without knowing him? You know what's going to make our worship different in this city? It's because we are going to begin to know the one we actually worship. Some people are worshiping the God we've been talking about the whole time. This one. They just, that's why their songs talk. They, in their songs, they're trying to draw close. They're trying to press into what? You don't press into God. He pressed into you. It's called an incarnation. The, some of you don't know what you just heard, but you can't worship somebody you don't effectually know. Paul says, I want to proclaim him to you. And he says this, verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he's Lord of heavens and earth, he doesn't live in these buildings made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as if he needed anything since he gives life to who? All and breath and all things. And he has made from one blood Every nation of men who dwell on the face of the earth, black men, white men, yellow men, brown men, he made them all from wood. And he has determined the pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. Paul is like killing it. In other words, you got to let God set the boundaries of your life. Nope, but nobody else. Verse 27, why did he do this? So that we should seek the Lord, watch this, in hope that we might grope for him and what? Find him. Then, then he says this, because he is not what? From who? Any of us. Uh, no, no. Listen, listen. Who is he talking to? Pagans. Men who are worshiping idols that they made with their own hands. He tells pagans, men worshiping stone gods. He says, do you know something? God ain't even far from you. Boy, while I grew up, if we found people like that, we'd have said, you're the furthest thing from God. You worshiping an idol God. Paul finds him. He says, you need to know something. God ain't far from you. You, you really, because they wanted to know the real God. He said, but you came to all the wrong temples. You fell at all the wrong altars, but God sees you really coming from him. But you need to understand something. God ain't even far from you. And then he says this in verse, we quote this in Christian circles. It was not quoted to Christians. Verse 28, one of my favorite verses in the scripture. To these people, Paul says this, for in this God, we what? And what? And have our what? Hold on, I thought he was talking to a church. He's talking to pagans. He said, even you pagans, you don't even know this. In God, you live, you move, and you have your very being. And he says this, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are God's what? Which, by the way, Paul was quoting a pagan poet, and guess who they were actually talking about? Zeus. And he took some of their 
jacked up poetry. And he said, let me give you the gospel out of your own poetry. In our God, we live, move, and have our being. Even though you would say, you don't even know him. You need to know the gospel. The gospel is, he knows you. And then he says, we are his what? Offspring. It's the Greek word genos. It's where we get the word genealogy. (laughs) He said, you're his kids. You don't even know it yet. So there's two kind of people on the planet. There's those that know their sons and those that don't. We get the joy of telling them. I call it this. There's believers ready for this and pre-believers. That's why God doesn't have an enemy. Because he done redeemed the whole world. You ready for this? They just don't know it yet. Isn't this the gospel? You know what? God ain't mad with nobody. You go to some churches, they God's very pissed off. He mad. He upset. He's angry. He's bitter. But if you want to know what God's look like, if you want to know what God looks like, you have to look at the face of the sun, and you're going to see a lamb. And Jesus said, when you see me, you see my dad. I forgave the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the publicans. I forgave them all. And I didn't wait for them to say a prayer. But I would walk up to them and I would say, your sins are forgiven. Father, I thank you that you're helping us to understand by way of the Holy Spirit and perceive the gospel. I don't know why I feel like praying this, but just, play, just stand with me for a minute. I pray that as parents, for those of us that have influence with friends and family that we would literally teach our neighbors and our kids those that we love the gospel most people they they hear sermons every week they read the bible every week but their hearts not filled with wonder because we hear this man-made version of the gospel but lord i pray that what has been done by jesus we will be smitten with the gospel we will be smitten with the truth jesus I want Honor and Sailor to see it. I want the Liams and the Sawyers and the Journeys and the Jojos and the Walkers to get it. Yeah. Yeah. I want the Jacksons and the Gracelands to never struggle with religion the way that we did. I want our kids to know something so much more better. What would happen, Lord, if they got to go into their schools and tell them whether you like it or not, God loves you. And you can't ever change that. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That the fact that we are were and will ever be forgiven rest on all of us not because we did it right but because Jesus did it right and Lord may the weight of that truth linger on us throughout the remainder of this week If you're in this room tonight and you've heard something like this for the first time, I want you to understand something. If that seemed pushy or shovy, that wasn't my intention. I know what it's like to actually hear the gospel for the first time and it challenge everything in your belief system. I understand that. But would you be open to the truth? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would just believe in him would never have to perish but that he could have everlasting life. 
For God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but yet he sent him that through him the world might be saved. For in him is life, and his life is the light of all mankind. And would you believe that in him, before you knew him, in him you were living, breathing, and having your very being in him. And that you are his offspring, whether you like it or not. He is the God of the universe. Paul says there's one Lord, one spirit, one faith, one hope, one calling. And he ends it by saying this, one God, and there's only one Father over all. I would encourage you to receive that love tonight. That love is so powerful, it'll regulate your blood pressure. That love is so powerful, it will relieve you of physical pains. That love is so powerful, your conscience, according to the writer of Hebrews, will be cleansed. Not just your external man, but your internal man. Be forever cleansed with the revelation of that truth tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Have an amazing evening. Thank you for taking a moment to listen in to what Jesus is doing right here at Way Family Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. If you want to be a part of helping us to continue to share the gospel and get it out to as many people as we can, you can do that via Cash App at dollar sign Way Family Church, or you can visit our website at wayfamilychurch.com and click on the giving tab. For more information about Way Family Church, you can connect with us on all social media platforms or simply go to wayfamilychurch.com. Be blessed.